latest episode of Rocked on Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's is your host, Evan Sidery, and I'm joined by a very special guest on today's show, Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. Before we dive into our crossover special today, our first of many with all these bubble teams in the West vying for a playoff spot, we're going to get guys by our title sponsor today's show, which is Rock Auto, which has a main selection, reliably low prices, and all the purchase curve will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Evan. I'm, I'm just excited that we're doing things like this because it means basketball is coming back really soon. And yeah, after like four or five months without it, I'm excited. Yeah, a very long time coming. And in the format too, 22 teams in the bubble of Suns barely squeaked in there. The Pelicans as well are one of the more exciting teams that I love to follow. And I'm excited to talk to you about the Pelicans, Jay, because this team obviously since the lottery last year, getting Zion Williamson, What's the New Orleans been like since landing Zion? Because I feel like, of course, it's still a Saints town, so to say. But from Anthony Davis and that whole saga to getting Zion, what's it been like? Yeah, it's been a dramatic turnaround kind of in terms of energizing the fan base. The last season with Anthony Davis and kind of all the drama that went on with that was an absolute slog. And like even a guy like me who goes to every game, covers the team, and just loves all of this stuff – I really dislike going to basketball games. I even dislike doing Locked On Pelicans because like, there was just nothing to talk about. It was such a drag. And then the lottery happens. They're slated to be, I think, like seventh or eighth. I forget what it was. And they jump up to the number one overall pick, get the rights to select Zion. And like everyone else in the city, it, re- it energized me. It kind of brought more of an interest in basketball than I've ever seen here in New Orleans before. Um, you kind of see red everywhere since that's the color the team uses a lot for everything. Uh, in the days leading up to all of it, I saw homemade Zion Williamson jerseys. When it came to draft night, the Pelicans had a big party downtown. They were expecting one to 2,000 people. It ended up being close to six or 7,000 people that showed up uh, to watch Zion get drafted by the team. So the enthusiasm was basically out of control and at a higher level than we've ever seen here in New Orleans. It's waned a little bit, particularly when Zion missed uh, the first 42 games of the regular season here with that knee surgery that he had. But now that you know we he came back in January, the team played some of their best basketball of the year and is in playoff contention, you've seen a lot of that support really come on back. So I'm going to be curious to see how the fan base reacts to these final eight games yeah looking at Zion this season in 19 games before the shutdown happened Jake he was averaging 30 minutes per game but also 23.6 points 6.8 rebounds 2.2 assists as well as doing pretty well getting to the free throw line as well eight free throw attempts per game for a rookie is super impressive to me what stood out to you watching Zion in these 19 games because right away we kind of saw like wow this guy is definitely different yeah you know, it's a lot of what you kind of expected for him, the rebounding and the scoring on, on the inside. And so you see kind of that leap ability, all the physical tools he has that he hasn't even put all of that together just yet either. You know, he kind of lumbers a bit like a penguin. He's got kind of like a waddle or a gate to him. And then you still see him beating other guys down the court without like very good running form. That's something that the Pelicans are working on with him. But you see kind of all just the, the intangibles, the things you can't coach, the things you can't teach, all of that stuff that he has. His second jump has really stood out to me. This is a guy who grabs almost three offensive boards per game. He rebounds something like half of his own misses, essentially. So it makes him just deadly around the rim. You can maybe deny him on that first attempt, but he's going to get his own board because he has just this instinct and timing to jump up, grab it, and then flush it back home for an easy two points, which is one of the reasons why his shooting percentage is close to 59, 60% on this season. He's really, really good with that. He becomes a focal point uh, that 
defense is key in on, which opens things up for others. His passing has been better than we thought so far this year, too. He's averaging over two assists per game. Basically just shows you why he went number one overall, why he was the most hype prospect coming into the NBA since LeBron and probably the best prospect since Anthony Davis. So, you know, in just 19 games, kind of all those raw things out there, he looks really good. And now he's had four or five months to work on things during this kind of weird mini break that we've had. And there's higher hopes that he's going to outperform what we saw in the regular season in these final eight games in Orlando right now. Looking to the other young guys on this team that have really made an impact, and especially from the Anthony Davis trade, I know trading away a superstar talent, Anthony Davis, you run the risk of not getting back a good return. But in this deal with the Lakers, you definitely got back a solid return in New Orleans. And the first one I went ahead was Brandon Ingram because first time all-star this year in the Western Conference, 24 points, six rebounds, four assists per game. His three-point percentage jumped up to 38%. What's it been like watching B.I. this year, Jake? Because it seems like he took the leap that everyone thought he would in L.A., and it's finally happening in New Orleans. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things where I wonder if it just a change of scenery was really important for him. Just just get out of L.A., kind of get out of the shadow of everything going on there, come to this team where you're just allowed to be the guy. You know, he was in LeBron's shadow in L.A., and last season when LeBron went down towards the end of the year, you saw Brandon Ingram kind of step into that role, fill that void, and start to flourish, not to the degree that we're seeing now, but then he gets traded to New Orleans. He's allowed kind of to be the man, and he stepped into that role really well. He's made a lot of strides in his game too you see a lot of shades of Kevin Durant in him both in how they look and how they play he can score from anywhere out there on the court he's adjusted his shot profile where he's taking significantly more shots from three shooting close to 39 percent this year from there so he's sharp shooter from deep he's got a very good mid-range game and you don't normally want guys taking those long mid-range shots but when he shoot when you shoot it close to 50 percent which is what Ingram does it becomes a pretty good shot at that point so he can kill you with that and then he can go inside and play down low if you really need him to so the way I look at him is yes the focus is on Zion Williamson and the hype's all on Zion and rightfully so but Ingram's the man on this team this is your score this is your leader out there on the court and for a team that struggled in clutch all year long if you get into a late game situation in Orlando where every game for this Pelican squad is do or die at this point you need it to be Ingram who is getting you those buckets and being the focal point of the offense and if they take him away that's okay he's averaging over four assists per game you can see he can play a bit of point forward so he's a just a well-rounded player who's a very good scorer and I think it's kind of like the main guy on the team right now also I wanted to hit on real quickly with Ingram I know he's an upcoming restricted free agent and it seems like from all indications he wants to stay in the run and Pelicans want him to stay around it seems like to me that a mass contract's incoming for Ingram am I wrong, am I wrong to assume that No, I mean, so going into this year, even before we started, and not sure what we'd get out of him. And don't forget, he had that kind of scary blood clot in his shoulder last year, too, which maybe put some of this stuff in doubt, that he was going to get a max contract. It's a young wing that's a score. You know, there's not a ton of those around the league, particularly with the size and height that he has in length. He was going to get a max contract from somewhere, even unless he just completely tanked this season. Now, the only thing that's different from that is it's going to be the Pelicans that give him the max deal. You know, they could let restricted free agency play out, but I would not be shocked if they just offer him a max deal the first second that they can and just lock this up. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think Ingram is going to get that max from New Orleans, and him and Zion are definitely a super fun duo. But from the Suns standpoint, I wanted to ask you really quick about David Griffin because he was a longtime executive with the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, Cleveland had the success with LeBron James there, but 
it, it seems like David Griffin's been a perfect fit in New Orleans there. Really helped change the culture there. Really helped build this roster into a playoff contender in his first year. What's it been like with David Griffin? Because he's so open in the media. He's such a personable guy, but also doing his job behind the scenes. He's so good at it. Yeah, he, he's very good. And this is a guy who could go work for any organization that he wanted to if there was an opening. And I'm sure some teams would fire their main basketball guy to hire David Griffin. And him choosing New Orleans, I really think, makes kind of a big statement. In a smaller market like this, you don't really see things like that. Um, and this is one of the better guys out there I think you can get running a team. So this, the franchise is very fortunate to have him. It's been night and day from when general manager Dell Demps was fired to David Griffin taking over. Uh, Demps was not very media friendly, very secretive, did not build the best relationships in the building. And the day he was fired, it really felt like a dark cloud kind of lifted off of the Smoothie King Center in the Pelicans practice facility. And kind of building on that culture and creating a better atmosphere um, is what David Griffin's done. Very kind of inclusive, very open and collaborative. Look at some of the people he's hired, bringing in Trajan Langdon uh, to be the general manager, hiring Swin Cash to fill a variety of roles in the front office too. Um, and trying to get their input on things. So he's talked a lot about culture building. That's the most important thing he wants to do. Less concerned about roles for people, but other than just bringing in the best people, he says, get the best people on the bus and then we'll figure out where the bus is going. And that really seems to be like what they have done. Um, And it extends to kind of the team building philosophy. I think he has too. He realized this was going to be a very young team. So he went really aggressively after a guy like JJ Redick in free agency to provide a lot of that veteran leadership um, and mentoring to a lot of these guys, particularly it being like a Duke team right now too. So it's been impressive to kind of see the turnaround from where this franchise was a year and a half ago now to where they are today they're in striking position of the playoffs and I think some might argue that you know they're the favorite for that ninth spot or the eighth spot however you want to kind of look at it so the turnaround and just everything he has done including getting ownership to invest more money this was a frugal ownership group before he came in and basically demanded that they spend a lot of money and they have don't forget um, they brought over Aaron Nelson from the Suns too and he didn't come cheap and then they spent about 10 million dollars kind of upgrading a lot of the facilities to give Aaron Nelson what he wanted as well. So I think all of that has been really important for the turnaround with this franchise. Last question I have for you, Jake, for your dad's son's basketball talk really quickly on the New Orleans Pelicans, because like you mentioned, they're only three and a half games back at the eight seed. Memphis, of course, has a little separation from everyone here, but I think this Pelicans team, if they get hot and they get this momentum going in, in these eight games, if Zion comes back even better, I think there's a really good chance, like you mentioned, they're in that play-in tournament against this Grizzlies team and vying for that eight seed and to, for the chance to play against one of the L.A. teams there. What's your overall expectations and thoughts about what's going to happen for this Pelicans team during this eight games in New Orleans? Or eight, eight games you know, in New excuse me. Yeah, of course. I, I, I don't. Th- so I'm not going to like put my money out there and say like, yeah, they're going to get in. Um, I'd probably come off a little bit homerish in that too, but they have a very good chance at this. I think when you look at it, you know, they were disappointed when the season was suspended over the final 18 games, only like two or three of them were against playoff teams. They felt they could go something uh, like 15 and three or 13 and five and really make a run at the Memphis Grizzlies. They also had two more games against Memphis too, and they've beaten the door 
doors off them in the two games that they've played so far this year. Now going into the bubble, they think if they can carry any of the momentum they had been building over, they're going to be in a very good spot here. They have the easiest schedule of all the 22 teams in the bubble. Theirs is the only one that is under 500 with the opponent's combined record. You get one game against uh, Memphis, two games against the Kings, which might be one of the other kind of contenders in the mix on all of this too. So I think they feel very good about their chances here, particularly when you look at these other bubble bubble teams having difficult schedules. So, you know, New Orleans gets a break by playing the Washington Wizards on the second night of their only back-to-back, and they're not going to have Bradley Beal. You miss the Spurs with the Marcus Aldridge. It's kind of things like that that kind of broke New Orleans way in this, which emulates their schedule to an original degree. So I think they feel very good, you know, about this. If they can win that game against Memphis, I think they're going to feel even better. I don't know if they're going to jump to the eight spot right off the bat, but I think kind of getting into a that eight nine scenario when they've smoked Memphis both times, um, it's very doable for them. I'm not ready to go far and say they're getting in, but I feel pretty confident that they can get in. And I think the front office and these players all agree with that. Moving on into our final segment of the show, talking about some sons. Would Jake ask me some questions? Before we go on, so I want to remind you guys of our sponsor today's show, which is Rock Auto. With the ever-increased numbers of makes and models, it's now possible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain store front. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the cameraman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse has, happens to care at that time? You have computers that access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket right away. I've used Rock Auto myself, and they've saved me a lot of money already, and they would for you guys as well. For example, a fuel pump assembly at the competitor is $354, but at Rock Auto, it's $217. It's a lot of money saved, put right back in your pocket there. Chain stores are different price tiers for professional mechanics to your sellers, but Rock Auto's prices are the same across the board for everyone and reliably low. RockAuto.com is also a family business, too, serving auto part customers online for 20-plus years. So go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals doing your selfers. So why spend the twice as much money for the same parts so you can get even cheaper over at RockAuto? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, in their How's Your Boss box so know we sent you. They have a main selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Write Locked On, in their How's Your Boss box. So then we sing from the Lockdown Podcast Network. Be back to you guys in just a second to talk about some Suns basketball with Jake. All righty, Jake, we're back for segment two here, talking through our crossover Pelicans and Suns. What questions do you have for me about the Suns? Yeah, you know, this is a team, I think they've only played once this season, right? I, I'm trying to remember everything. Like, this is so weird where we're getting basketball again after a break where I've, like, forgotten a lot of what's, what's going on. But I believe the Suns beat them once in Phoenix, right? Yes, it was once in Phoenix, and I believe they played once in New Orleans. That was the game where Booker went off for 44, but I don't know. If, I forget if the Suns actually won the game. They're all running together, like you mentioned, Jake. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, man. I get it. Don't worry. Um, so this is a team that I don't know a, t- a ton about, and so they're intriguing going into the bubble. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Monty Williams, I, you know, having uh, covered him here in New Orleans and he coached the team for a long time. You know, one of the things that he, was interesting about him and maybe kind of got him run out of town in a bit of a bum way a little bit was just not the most players friendly coach here in New Orleans and I wonder in his second stint as head coach has that kind of changed a little bit and how has he adapted and what did he learn from his first go run to kind of make him maybe more successful now yeah he's definitely a more players friendly coach in Phoenix because he's definitely established that hard-nosed culture that he wants to put in the place but he's also very open and friendly with the players they whatever the players want to say with Booker Ricky Rubio Aaron Baines, the leaders in the locker room there. If they have voices, they're going to speak and tell Monty Williams, and Monty's going to listen, even change maybe some of the strategies. I know Rubio's talked about before how him and Monty have 
really change stuff on the fly during a game. And Monty's letting go because he trusts Rubio. He also trusts a lot of the players in this team, like Booker and DeAndre, for example. He's really a great coach for exactly what Phoenix need. They need a disciplinary coach, and Monty does that, but also a, a grower of a, a, a locker room, so to say. With the, all these young players on this roster, Booker's only 23, Kelly Oubre's only 24, Aiton's only 21. This young core needs someone to help guide them, and Monty's definitely done that. And also his on-court strategies, too. He's definitely modernized his offense more. I know New Orleans he – That I've definitely seen, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely used a lot more um, – less post-ups than he did in, in New Orleans. He's done a lot more – ball movement they lead the NBA in assists per game and assist percentage this year so really it's helping share the rock and going about that and making a lot of open shots easier for guys like Devin Booker because Booker saw his true shoot percent skyrocket this year from 58 to 63 and that's thanks to Portamani and his change in his scheme. No, I mean, so the, it's interesting you mentioned kind of the modern offense because what they came out of the gates kind of flying and their offense looked really good with kind of Aaron Baines in that very key role for him, I think, in a number of things. But things then got a little bit tougher. Is that just kind of a young team coming out of the gates playing well and then hitting a little bit of adversity? Or what's some of the reason you think that they weren't able to sustain some of the start that they had? Yeah, I think a lot of it was due to, like you mentioned, it's the hot start and just um – regressing back to the mean, so to say, because we all we mm-hmm. all the Suns were going to go and be this hot team that was going to win 40-plus games this year. It was way too ahead of their timeline right now. But I think the regression in the mean is just what was going to happen, but also with this team with injuries. And DeAndre Ayton's suspension, of course, really played a big part in that. After game one, where Aiden really dominated against the Kings, he was suspended for 25 games for a diuretic and ended up not being able to play for almost two and a half months, not until late December because of what he did off the court there. But also Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio, two veteran leaders of this team and ones who are past their prime at this point. Baines definitely was playing a little way too much minutes. He was used to playing about 10 to 15 minutes per game throughout his career. But then once Aiton went down, there was no other backup center on this roster. So he was playing around 30 minutes per game. And Baines started to break down. He had nicks and knacks there as far as injuries go. And he actually missed a little bit of time due to a hip flexor injury about a couple weeks there. And it really stagnated the Suns' development there because they had to put Frank Kaminsky at center there. And the defense and the offense really trailed off after that because Baines and Aiton being out really changed things for that Suns' front court there. And also Ricky Rubio, too. He, he always has some sort of nicks and knacks as far as injuries go throughout his career. But pulling him about 33, 34 minutes per game during the first few months of the season started to wear down, him down a little bit. I know a game in Sacramento – in January, he could barely run around because he was just so tired and his back was just so out of whack. And it seemed like for them, they just had to get a, a refresh and a restart there. Rubio looked a lot better at the end of the season before the season went on pause. Baines went back to his role, playing about 15 minutes per game off the bench. He seemed very comfortable in that role. So I think it was about just not only eight in suspension, but also those injuries that played a part in it. Booker stayed very healthy this year, which is a good thing. But just missing out on guys like Rubio and Baines, who actually played a really important role for this team this year, I think really played a factor in that. No, I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Baines was key early on, but it just kind of felt like he wasn't going to be able to keep up that entire level of play for like a full season. And I think that's when, as you mentioned, Frank Kaminsky coming in kind of changed that a, a little bit with him. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the defense too, because that's kind of what Monty was known for here in New Orleans. But with some of the roster construction, you know, I don't think anyone thinks of Devin Booker as a really great defender. Ricky Rubio is probably what, like a net zero, um, maybe a little bit above that at times. Does the defense really hinge on a guy like Aiton and some of the others, or is that something that the Suns need to figure out, one, to win in the bubble and try and get into the playoffs, but also just to really be a solid playoff team, you know, years in the future as well? 
Yeah, the Suns' defense, it really funnels through Aiden. As far, surprisingly enough, because I know Aiden had some pre-draft concerns about his defense, and especially last year during his rookie year, it was very inconsistent. But kudos to Monty for really helping change Aiden and his mentality defensively because he, he doubled his block percentage this year. He went from 0.9 to 1.7 blocks per game. And he's right up there in the top three, I believe, alongside Rudy Gobert and um, Giannis Antetokounmpo for being players that defend the most shots at the rim at a low field goal percentage level. And that's due, due in part to Monty and the change it put together for his staff. And they are very switchable in the wing there, which with Mikhail Bridges, who I think is one of our underrated defenders in the NBA. I think he's going to be an all-NBA defender here very soon. Kelly Oubre, those two wings, they really are switch happy and make things go for Aiden on the outside. Very versatile and flexible. And also Ricky Rubio. Did pretty well for himself this year defensively. I know, like you mentioned, he's just like an average defender at this stage of his career. But next to Devin Booker, who's going to have all his energy conserved on offense, you just need someone that's passable at that end next to him. And Rubio def- definitely provided that spark for them in the backcourt defensively. But it, it's a really switchable, fun defense. It all revolves through DeAndre and as the anchor of the defense. So I think it's just about development with Aiden at this point. If Aiden can become close to a Gobert type, not because I don't think anyone's going to get close to being an exact Rudy Gobert, but he's getting close to that already. I feel like a couple years from now, this defense will continue to get better and better as they grow together. But I believe this defense has made significant strides compared to where they were last year. It's kind of just uh, running with a chicken with your head cut off, so to say. It was just a lot of stuff going on and a lot of things that were just out of place, out of motion. And, and Monty's really helped stabilize that and made 8-8 eight and eight really reliable defender where all the pressure's on his shoulders to help this defense go, and he's really responding to it. No, I, I think that's important. I mean, having an anchor like that, I didn't know some of the stuff about Aiton on the defensive side of the ball and having a guy that can kind of be that anchor for you down low, I think does a lot And that it's okay then if you kind of funnel guys into them and like let some of the perimeter defense be maybe a little bit more leaky than you would otherwise like it, um, which then lets a guy like Devin Booker conserve his energy for offense, which is definitely what you want him doing. So I think that's a great thing. What about Czech Diallo, who's formerly of the New Orleans Pelicans? He was not a great player, not a guy that got a ton of minutes or lit it up or anything, but just kind of a really likable guy. How's he been fitting in there in Phoenix? Yeah, he's definitely a fun locker personality. He's always ones in the, the pregame huddles, dancing around, making guys laugh a little bit. And he's a really fun personality that I can mention there too. But Unfortunately for Sheck so far in Phoenix, encore-wise, he really hasn't fit much into the picture, playing around 10 minutes per game. And most nights he was an inactive just because they had so many bigs, Aiton, Baines, Frank Kaminsky, and Dario Sharks ahead of him as well. Unless there was an injury that happened to Aiton or Baines, we never really saw Diallo play this year. And it seemed like a lot of the times he was just a little confused as to what was going on on both ends of the floor. So Monty kind of gave him a quick leash on some games. He played like two minutes in one game, I remember that, and he didn't come back in the rest of the game you know they were down at a player in the front court there so I think with Diallo it's just been a frustrating fit for him and a little bit more development time for him than may probably expected from both sides with the Suns and Diallo but he has a team option for the second year at 1.8 million dollars I don't know if the Suns picked that up because Diallo I don't think has been the smoothest fit there but in case of injury if glass breaks and Aiden goes down with an injury he's definitely suitable to step into a role for it in a pinch play about 15 minutes per game because he had one good game this year I forget the exact opponent where he had about 10, 12 points in about a 10-minute spurt. And he has those moments, but unfortunately, it's been a lot of inconsistency for Diallo. Yeah, no, that was just kind of the same here in New Orleans. And it's disappointing. He's just a super likable dude who's just very springy is maybe the best way to describe him. Um, and we were hoping for the best for him here and then kind of wished him the best when he moved on. But yeah, just kind of one of those things where inconsistent and uh, we are all too familiar with Monty's doghouse here in New Orleans with certain players. So I, I understand what can happen there. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with you on that standpoint. And just before we end this crossover, Jake, just wanted to ask you just how how 
excited to finally watch basketball again because I know we've been talking about on the show for a few months now just waiting and waiting for this opportunity and we were so giddy from the Suns perspective when we saw them barely sneak into this 22 team bubble but basketball's finally back in a couple weeks Jake and I can't wait for it yeah neither can I this is going to be a lot of fun I kind of love the idea of that it's going to be on from basically noon until night and so you know locked on Pelicans is not my full-time job I have a full-time gig where I'm on zoom meetings and other things throughout the day and in the dining room where I've kind of made my home office during all of this I plan on bringing a tv in here just to put basketball on in the background all day long which frankly sounds freaking awesome to me so I'm very excited just to kind of have it in like a weirder way than we've ever had it before and there's gonna be days where just you know binging on hoops all day and you know I'm sure for you and I that sounds like a dream yeah definitely it's gonna be such a fun time here almost like a pseudo summer league so to say with implications all over the place as far as playoff seating and we're playing into the playoffs there and good luck to your side of this Jake with the Pelicans because I know they're gonna be one of my fun teams to watch throughout this eight game tournament in Orlando leading into the playoffs but you guys can go follow Jake even already on Twitter at Nola Jake go follow their account as well at locked on Pels Jake appreciate the time for doing this crosshair with me Of course. Thanks for having me on.